0: Well, good morning. Good, morning. good morning. Hey, you're here. And so am I. A one week ago today, I was in southern Michigan watching my oldest grandchild graduate from high school. I'm proud to say that of all the many hundreds and hundreds of people that were there when my grandson stepped up and got his diploma, I had the biggest mouth of anybody there, (laughs) screamed and hollered, and uh, had a great time. I understand, though, that you were in good hands while I was gone, and Pastor Brent spoke and did a great job, and I'm grateful that he stepped up and stepped in and delivered the word. Now, I have discovered since I've been in Alaska that there are some things that you do differently here. And I don't know um, about weddings. I, do, you, do you have any uniquely Alaskan wedding customs? I, I asked this the first hour, and nobody seemed to know of any. Maybe, maybe you don't, but when I was growing up in northern Indiana, my hometown, Goshen, Indiana, uh, I, I was about, oh, yay big, it was, so it was many years ago. Uh, in my church, there was a man who was so old, he outlived like two or three wives, you know? And he decided he wanted another wife. And so he was, he was preparing to get married, and he must have been 80, 85, uh, 120. Uh, he, I don't know, he was, he was really old. But his name was Elmer Detweiler. And in the Detweiler family, going back for generations... They had, a, they had a family tradition about, about a wedding. And the, the tradition was really unique. I've never heard of this before in anywhere else. But it was that when someone got married in the family, you hooked up a long time ago a, a team of horses, or more recently, when I was a kid, when Elmer got married, a, a tractor, you hooked it up to a manure spreader. Yeah, and so this is what Elmer did. He got married, and the first thing they did was they went out, outside of town, Goshen, Indiana, a town of about 20,000, and so they had a well-developed uh, main street that you could go down, and I don't know, probably 10 blocks, 12 blocks, 15 blocks of, towns on, or of stores on both sides of the, of the street. So he, they went outside there and hooked up an old tractor to a manure spreader, and then the tradition was that the new bride and groom would ride on the back end of the manure spreader, and they would pull it through town. <laughs> now, I'm like, is this the craziest thing you've ever heard? I mean, really? I'm like... I don't know what that says about setting the tone for your marriage. I still haven't figured that out after all these years. But I've often thought about that little story, and I've come to realize across the years that some people are manure spreaders. It's wherever they go. They spread manure. Manure. And I've discovered that even, it's hard to imagine, but even some Christians lean that way and they kind of just spread stink and mess wherever they go. But instead of being a manure spreader, Christians ought to be grace spreaders. And we ought to spread the grace of God wherever we go. This God who has given us his unmerited favor, the popular definition of the word grace, that has given us his unmerited favor into our lives, we didn't deserve it, but God does that to us and in us. And it's that wherever we go, we ought to be spreading that grace that God has given to us. We ought to be spreading it out to other folk, wherever we're at. Now, the question is, of course, how do we do that? And I suspect there are several different right answers to that question, how do we spread the grace of God? But for our purposes here today, I want to give you this answer. We spread the grace of God from our lives to the people that are around us when we discover and use our spiritual gifts. Now, think of that phrase, spiritual gifts gifts. Of course, spiritual refers to the work of the Holy Spirit. And the word gift or gifts in the original language is is the word grace, the word grace. And so we're simply saying that, and God is simply saying that when we talk about spiritual gifts, we're talking about the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can show grace to those people that are around us. And so when you do that, when you discover and use your spiritual gifts, you are sharing the grace of God to the people in your world. Now, let me just try to be really clear here and just say that a spiritual gift is a God-given supernatural ability that God uses to allow you to spread his grace to the people that are around you. And so I'm just saying that every born-again believer ought to discover, if you haven't already, and use your spiritual gift so that we're not manure spreaders. So that we spread the grace of God. So we're going to begin by looking at 1 Corinthians 12 today. That's the text. And let me read verses 4 through 6. First Corinthians 12, 4 to 6. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Now, when we talk about spiritual gifts, one of the first things that we realize is that there is variety. And your gift is probably different than my gift and the spiritual gift that God has for you or gifts one or more might be different than the one setting to your left or setting to your right. There there is a variety. Now when you look at the list the different list of spiritual gifts in the Bible uh, you'll see that it's, it's quite a grouping. And so let's go to the next slide, please. And we, we see that Paul gives a different uh, listing of spiritual gifts. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and then 1 Peter lists a couple of spiritual gifts. Now, if you look at the, the lists of gifts that are up there, you see, you see a, a wide variety, of those, of those gifts. And I'm not going to read down through the list. You can read for yourself and you, you see the different gifts that are listed there. But here's the point I, I want to make. I have, I have talked to people down across the years that say, "Oh, I have the spiritual gift of, fill in the blank, but it's not listed in the Bible. It's like, well I have the spiritual gift of whatever you might you might want to say, but you look there and it's like, well, somebody might say, but that's not in the Bible. That's okay. Because when you look at this list, these different lists of spiritual gifts, it's my belief that these lists of spiritual gifts are given as examples and are not meant to be an exhaustive list. You, you, are you with me on that? So if, if you're like, well, I always thought I had the spiritual gift of, and you're sitting there this morning, and you're looking at these spiritual gifts that are listed in the New Testament, and it's not up there, you still good, all right? So these are, these are illustrations that Paul, and in one instance Peter, is using to show you the kinds of of spiritual gifts, but it's not an exhaustive list. It's to get your mind going. So we notice in the text that I just read a, a moment ago that uh, the verses say there are different gifts, but they are all united in the Godhead. You know, they are different gifts, but they come from the same spirit. They come from the same Lord. They s- come from the same god the father and so while there's a great diversity of gifts that means that we're still united when we think about the gifts if you're ever part of a church where spiritual gifts are causing disunity there's a problem because even though there's great diversity of gifts it ought to bring unity because every spiritual gift flows down to us from God the Father and the Godhead. And that happens so that we can become, as I said, grace spreaders. Now, let me read verse 7. 1 Corinthians 12:7. Now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, when we think about the giving and receiving of spiritual gifts, every born-again believer has at least one. You're like, well, how can you be so sure? I can be so sure because I can read. It's pretty plain right there. Take a look up on the screen. To each one, that means you, (laughs) you, you. Even me. God has given every believer at least one spiritual gift. And that means that we have a, some sort of ability, special ability that gets our motor running. That is supercharged by the Holy Spirit. So that we can be effective in that particular area. I also think that spiritual gifts are tailor-made by God to fit with your personality type. So if you're sitting there thinking, "Oh man, I, uh, uh, you know, am I going to have a spiritual gift where I'm going to just be uncomfortable and die a thousand deaths?" and you know, like my my wife is so so shy and unassuming. you know, God, I don't think it's going to give her the spiritual gift of exhortation. She'd just pass right out and die right up here, you know? So if, if you're, like, nervous that God is going to give you a spiritual gift that's going to take you way out of your comfort zone, relax. It might take you out of your comfort zone, but not way out. It's going to fit with your personality because God is wanting you to have a spiritual gift that will inflame your passion and desire to serve God. And and, and he, he he will do that. Now, I'm thinking about how wonderful it is to think about God giving me, or you, a spiritual gift, a supernatural gift from above. By God the Father, who knows everything and who loves us, and as the scripture says, uh, wants the best for his children. Why in the world would we say to ourselves, I don't really want to know what it is? And I have met people like that across the years. They're like, Well, I'm not really interested in knowing my spiritual gift. Or we might even say, well, when God gave out spiritual gifts, you know, I was on vacation and didn't get the memo or, you know, just we're not really interested. And I've come to realize that really at the heart of all of that nonchalant attitude about spiritual gifts is this idea. It's the idea that as long as we can say, I don't know what my spiritual gift is, I'm not really responsible to use it. I just Oh, don't ask me to use, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Did you ever have a relative whose spiritual gift was giving bad gifts? My grandfather, uh, my grandfather, Grandpa Hartman, a wonderful person, terrible gift giver. I mean, for example, when I was 12 years old, I'm like, oh, I wonder what grandpa's going to get me for my birthday. And so uh, it came time to get the gift from my grandpa, and he brought it out. And it was a star-kissed chicken-of-the-sea tuna paper kite. That's right. And, 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 and... It was a paper kite that you got free when you took off ten paper labels off of ten cans of tuna fish, you know. And and and, and twelve years old says so a long time ago, um, you could buy a kite for nineteen cents. <laughs> that was my gift. I'm like, hmm, okay. And well, we had fun with it, you know. Don't want to be ungrateful, but yeah, that's my gift. So he just he was known for giving gifts like that. So when I got married, my wife and I, I told my, I told Jackie, I said, don't expect much from my grandpa Hartman. Yeah, what's he gonna get us? And it was really kind of a mystery, you know, because we don't know. Is it an upgraded kite? Maybe it's plastic kite, you know? But we had one of, these, one of these wedding reception things where, I don't know if you do this here or not, but we, we, you take all of the gifts at the reception, and you don't open them up at the reception. You, you take all the loot into like the station wagon and take it somewhere else and open it. Do you guys do that here or no? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. You know, whatever. So we, we took all the, is it bad to say loot? Plunder, yeah. Uh, so I took it all back to my in-laws into the family room, and we're opening gifts, and it was like, here, open this, and and it was like, Grandpa, was like, no, we'll, we'll save that one. Hey open this. So finally, we got down to the very last gift. It was from my Grandpa Hartman. I'm like, I don't. Do we have to open it? I and mean, You just set it over there in the corner, you know, just. Because I knew that if I opened it, then I, it's just like, so anyhow, we opened it. We were not disappointed. It was a bedside lamp made of medium-grade plastic. And it was hobnail pattern. You know, little bumps on it, you know what I'm talking about, about this big? And it was purple. Purple. And so you set it out in the bedroom at night, and if you just turned it on, it turned this whole bedroom into this purple glow, almost like you were in a room where you shouldn't be in. <laughs> it, was just, it was just the weirdest, you know, I just like, and Jackie's like, do we have to set this out? I'm like, no, we'll put it in the closet. And then if they come over, then we'll bring it out, you know. Then we'll, then we'll set it there. we will turn it on. I'm not ashamed to tell you that that's exactly what we did. <laughs> but once we, I'm saying once we opened it, we had to respond to it. I mean, we had, you know, something, you know, we just respond to it somehow. That's the way it is with spiritual gifts. When you, when you open, when you discover the spiritual gift that God has given you, You've got to respond to it. There's no more hiding behind the facade of saying, well, I don't know what it is. We just, I'll just move ahead in ignorance because you know, you know that once you discover your spiritual gift, then you've got to respond to it. You've either got to embrace it you, uh, or, or, or say, I'm, I'm going to explore this Or you're going to say, I don't want any part of that, and so we don't really want to be rebellious against God, so we'll just be ignorant. And I'm suggesting to you, that's the wrong approach. That every one of us ought to discover the spiritual gift that God has picked out for us. Now, I can't can't imagine what it would be like if you or I decided we would give a, spirit, give a gift to the one that we love the most in our life, think about who that is. Maybe it's your spouse, I, I, you know, maybe it's a child or a parent, or the one you love the most, and you've decided that you're going to give them the best gift that they have ever received. And so you spend not days, but weeks researching the very best gift that you can give them that loved one of yours. And you, you check your budget and you decide how much money you can spend on this gift of love for this one you love the most. And so you figure out how much you can spend and then you double it. Because <laughs> you're going you're gonna to blow their socks off, you know? Just this gift. And then you recognize that maybe you're like me, that you're like, hmm. I'm not a gift wrapper, so when you buy it, you pay somebody a little bit extra so that they can wrap it up. So it's just a visual masterpiece. You know, the wrapper is just right. The color of the ribbon matches, and it's just, just exquisite to look at. And so you go out for supper somewhere, and it's a special moment, and, and you, you pull this package out. And you lay it on the table in front of your loved one. And you say, look at what I have for you. And the person you're with says, oh, oh, thank you. Can we go ahead and order our food? Oh, wait a minute, aren't you? Wait, wait, oh, open it. I can't wait for you to see what I've got for you. And then can you imagine that person across the table saying, oh, why don't we wait? Let's, let's wait. Let's wait till we get home. And you're like, mm, okay, let's do that. So you get home and you're like, open it, open it. And the, your, the, your loved one says, no, let's, let's wait till next week. See, by now you're ready to go, mm. Right, I, I, And your feelings are starting to get hurt. I was like, how, how, could, how could this even be possible that they would treat me this way? And I have thought about it and I wonder, I, 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 mean, I don't know that this is the case, but I wonder if that's how God must feel when he talks to his children and he says, I have a spiritual gift all picked out for you. Before the foundation of the world, I knew that you would be born, and I knew that this would be the the perfect gift for you to, to use in your life. And then we say to God, No, maybe next week. Or maybe I'll worry about discovering my spiritual gift, you know, next year. I'll make it my New Year's resolution. And I just wonder at the heart of God how God must feel about all of that. We are to discover the spiritual gift that God has selected for each, each of us and see what it is that God has for us. Next week, we're going to talk about how to use that spiritual gift, but today it's think about discovering that spiritual gift. Now, let, let me go back to verse 7 for just a few minutes. And let me just pick on, pick on that phrase, is given for the common good. That every spiritual gift is given for the common good. Good. Now, this is a big deal. It really is. God never gives a spiritual gift to anyone so that they can be a show off. (laughs) Or He doesn't gift an individual so that they can get attention. He doesn't give spiritual gifts so that you can be elevated and have a better self image or improve your self-esteem. He gives spiritual gifts for the common good. <laughs> not not to make you feel good about yourself. So spiritual gifts isn't really, truly, at the core, a me thing or you thing. It's an us thing. It's clearly for the common good. Now, one of the problems that we See, happening in the church at Corinth 2,000 years ago when Paul wrote this letter to the church is that there were people there that didn't understand that. They thought that spiritual gifts were all about me. And there were people in the church that were saying things like, well, I have the spiritual gift of, mm, and you have the spiritual gift of, mm, sorry about you. See, it made, made them feel proud that they had this gift and sorry about your luck, you know. And so it began to cause division. They, they fell into this trap of thinking that spiritual gifts is all about me and making me look good, making me feel good, making me... No. Spiritual gifts are for the common good. Now, back home... I have the old gray mare. No, not talking about my beautiful wife. Ah. I'm talking about my 2001 gray Dodge Caravan. I love love my car. It's just barely broken in, 230,000 miles. Holes along the bottom. You know, uh, she's kind of on life support right now, but I'm hoping and praying she pulls through. But a couple years ago, we were in North Idaho, and the old gray mare developed a problem. She started missing badly. I mean, you go down the road, a little bit of a miss here and there. But then when you pulled up to like a stop sign or stop light, she would chug, 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 and then die. And I'm a bit of a tightwad. I didn't want to go to the garage, and so I thought we're gonna ride this thing out. You know what I'm saying? I'm just, I'll I'll just make it work. So I pull up to the stoplight, chug, chug, put it into neutral. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever done that before with your car? (laughs) You because she's not gonna die on me. And I kept her going, and did that one time. I looked over, and there's somebody sitting over there in their car, looking at me like. $30,000 Thirty-thousand-dollar car. I was looking down at a three-hundred-dollar car. They're—they're going to race me to the next light, you know. So finally, I took it into the mechanic, and he figured out what was wrong with it. It took three trips into the garage, and about five or six hundred dollars later. Yeah, yeah. I should be lucky. I count myself fortunate. He figured out that there was a crack or hole. In one of the little plastic intake tube things. I don't know much about cars, so I might not have this quite right, but there's a vacuum a vacuum hose that runs. This is a quarter of an inch long. Some of you mechanics are just trying to not laugh out loud at me, I know. But it developed a hole, and it was sucking air in there. and, and um, it, it created a big, big problem. Now) <laughs> So I don't know how many parts are in a car engine or make a car engine work, probably hundreds. I don't know, a lot of them. But here was this one little, what? Maybe a four inch stretch of plastic tube, maybe a quarter of an inch or so in diameter long that developed a crack or hole in it. And it decided, it said, I'm not doing my job no more. And so I had a problem. Chung, tongue, chung, pung. Now I could I could go down the road because I discovered this, this wonderful method of shifting it into neutral and giving it gas so it wouldn't die. We could get down the road, but it was an it was an issue. It was a it was a hardship. All the other parts, as far as I know, was working all right. But that one little part said not, nope. I'm done with that. Once that was replaced, we good went down the road. Now think about the church, and maybe compare the church to a a car engine. There are a lot of parts, a lot of moving parts in a church. You have a a lot of ministries, you have a lot of people, you have a lot of things going on. You have have just so so many moving parts. Now, as long as every, every moving part, every person, is doing what they're supposed to be doing, the church goes down the road and it's a beautiful thing to see. But invariably, in every church, you have somebody that does this. Right? Doing that. Not doing that. And I'm talking about people that that feel like God is calling them to to do a ministry in the church, like maybe work with kids in the nursery. Like, "Mm, I ain't ain't doing that. And not only calling them to do this, but they know that they are supernaturally gifted to do that that one thing. And they're like, "Mm, no. No, I'm not. Sorry. Way too busy. No, too much going on. Nope doing that. And so here's what happens. The church can still move forward, but it's not smooth going down the road. It's bumpy, it's bumpy. And here's what happens. The Pareto principle kicks in. And that simply says that in any organization, and for sure the church, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Right? And so in a church, you'll have people say, I don't want to know what my spiritual gifts are. Um, I just want to come on Sunday morning and sit, and then I want to leave, and just, I don't want to be bothered. I just, no, not me. The people do this. And so what happens is, when you have somebody that needs to work in the nursery, just pick that example, because I know that's almost always a problem or challenge. Um, it's like, no, I'm not doing that. And so somebody else says... Well, I hate to see these little children um, in the kids' Sunday school class. I don't want them to go to hell, so I'll teach the class. I'm not gifted to work with kids, but here's the phrase. If nobody else will do it, I guess I will. You've heard that before. Maybe you've said that before. And what happens is, and and in every church I've ever been a part of, you have well-meaning people like that, who say, well, because you don't do your job that God has called you to do, I guess I'll do it. And then you don't do your job. I guess, well, no one else will do it. I'll do it. And you take these people take on this heavy load and then they crash and burn. Right? I mean, there's there's burnout. The burnout rate is heavy in, in churches because you, you have people that love God and love the church and want to see the church move forward. And if, People don't do what God's called them to do, they say, Well, I'll do it. And so the church chugs down the road. Usually, sometimes it doesn't even do that, but usually it manages to keep going because you have well-meaning people who say, who step up and say, well, I'll do it even if I'm not gifted to do it, even if I'm not called to do it. I'll just do it because. Because there's a need. And I'm just trying to say that shouldn't happen. It just shouldn't, it just shouldn't happen. We should, every one of us, discover and use our, our spiritual gifts. In another place in the New Testament, Paul writes about spiritual gifts. And he uses uh, the fascinating comparison uh, of a body that in, in one body there are many different members, you know, all these fingers and all these legs. And he's like, well, if, you know, if one part of the body doesn't work, then the body's got a problem. And, you know, it's like if if this leg right here, this leg right here says, I'm done walking, I'm too busy to walk. Let somebody else walk. You go, I got two legs. And so here's what you do. Now you get, you're going down the road. You're walking. This guy says, I'm, I'm done. I ain't walking. So it just comes along. It comes along for the ride. Here it goes. But all of a sudden, this leg has all of the stress. It's doing the work of two legs. And pretty soon, you're going to need a knee replacement. going to get worn out. You see, if we we all do our part, we go down the road smoothly together. Now here's, and I'm probably getting into next week, but let let me just add this. That when you discover the spiritual gift that God has given you, when you unwrap that and begin to explore the spiritual gift that God has given you, it will bring great fulfillment to your life. It will challenge you. It will stretch you. But you will be so fulfilled. You will be. Because it's what you've been created to do. So this is my big, big challenge for you. My hope and prayer is that this week, you will do what you need to do to discover your spiritual gift. Next week, we're going to talk about how to use it, but this is the week of discovery. Now, one of the reasons that I'm honing in on this is that the the new church specialties, all-church assessment and the report, shows that here at Birch Ridge, we could do a far better job of having individuals discover and use their spiritual gift. I mean, that's why I'm drilling down on that this morning. It, it's an area that we really need to improve in as a church. Now, the, the transition team and the leadership team has tried to figure out a good way for all of us to do this test, and they, they have discovered a good way. In fact, if you have your program there, uh, there, on the front page of the program, there's a link that you can use to go and do your spiritual gift. On the back page, at the very bottom, that link is repeated. And now, up here on the screen, the link is repeated. Here you go. It's really easy. birchridge.org forward slash survey. Now, let me t- talk to you really quickly about the survey. This is... Uh, professionally done. The church has paid money to, to this organization so that we can have access to this test. So we're financially invested as a church in this, but it's free. It's free to you. This online survey, when you get down to the end of it, it will ask you questions like your name, your email address. That's so that they can email you a report about the results. And it might ask you a few more questions. And you might be like, well, why is it asking me these questions? It's because what we're doing is you're discovering your spiritual gift, but as a church, as Bertridge community, we are then taking the results of of your assessment and we're adding it into a church-wide pool, a spiritual gift pool, so that when Pastor Nate comes, he can see who has the spiritual gift of teaching. It'll, it'll be there. And so the leadership will have a better idea of the spiritual gifts that are uh, uh, operating in Birch Ridge community. So it's really important that, that, that you do that. Um, the test, it, it, uh, it'll take at least 10 minutes or so. But there are no right or wrong answers. It, it, it'll be, it, it, the question will be, like, I have a deep passion to see people, lost people, come to Jesus Christ. And it'll be like, there's three responses. It'll be like, always, sometimes, never. <laughs> so it's not pass, fail. You can't flunk the test. But it's going to give you an indication of your spiritual gift. So let me hurry on and say that um, this test, even though it's one of the best ones out there, it's not infallible. Uh, it, will, it will, I think, for sure, point you in the right direction, but you know, this, this isn't designed by God, it's designed by man, but it, it'll, it'll get you going in, in the right direction. And again, we'll talk more about what that means uh, about what that means next week. So I'm really hoping that you'll take the spiritual gift test. Oh, and by the way, I know that many of you here are saying to yourself, well, I I know my spiritual gifts. I took a spiritual gift test two years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Let me encourage you to take the test again unless you've taken a spiritual gift test within the last 6 to 12 months. Um, That might be current, although this would give you a different perspective. And the reason is that your spiritual gifts can change over time. And you would expect that because you are at a different place in your spiritual journey. You're more mature now, and maybe God will gift you to do things that today you can do that you couldn't have done 10 years ago or 5 years ago. So please take the test again. So I, that's just my appeal to you. I'm hoping that all of you go to that link right there. Maybe do it this afternoon uh, before you forget about it. Just take, take the test. And I'm going to uh, look at the end of this week to see how many people have taken the test. I'm not going to check your name to see who's naughty or nice but I want to see how many people, and I'm hoping that you respond to this because it's critical that we understand our spiritual gift so that God can use us individually and corporately so that we can go down the road and accomplish the purpose that God has for Birch Ridge community. Let's stand together and let me pray. Father, we are excited this morning to be reminded that You have selected a spiritual gift for every person here. You didn't select it by accident. You didn't select it by throwing darts at a dartboard. You selected my spiritual gift based on who I am, on my personality, on where I am in my journey with you. And you've done the same thing for everybody here. Pray that you would help us to accept the challenge to see what gift you have given us. May this week, Heavenly Father, be a week of unwrapping the gift. So we pray it in Jesus' name, Amen.